Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. High drive, center field, hit the wall, grand slam. This is magnificent. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now here's Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. We've got your all-rookie team for 2021, first-year player draft rankings, and much more. Welcome to Fantasy Fantasy Baseball today, and welcome to February. Happy Monday, February 1st. Frank Stanfield joined by Scott White, who had a very eventful weekend. What's going on, Scott? Oh, not much, Frank. <laughs> what what made my weekend eventful? I don't even know what you're referring to. Uh, we were just talking beforehand, and Scott said uh, his weekend was not very long, and he spent a lot of it working, so... <laughs> Just thought we'd leave with that. <laughs> well, that is all thanks to the Nolan Arenado trade Friday night. Gotta love uh, the old Friday night trade, which isn't even official, by the way, but we're all ready to go what it is. Yeah, that's exactly right. And we mentioned that when we did our emergency podcast, the reported trade, Nolan Arenado heading to the St. Louis Cardinals for Austin Gomber and a few prospects uh speculating as of now. Scott, you've had the whole weekend to think about it. On Friday, you made the claim that you would take Rafael Devers over Nolan Arenado now. Are you sticking with it? Yeah, I'm sticking with it. And it's it's one of the things where as soon as Devers goes off the board, provided, you know, that's what the ADP is going to show that Devers goes ahead of Arenado. As soon as Devers is off the board, okay, I'll be happy to take Arenado at that point. It's just, you know, a little... The, the added risk there of not really being sure how he's going to adapt to his environment, I think he'll be okay. He'll, he'll suffer a little bit. It, it's, it's hard to think he's going to be exactly the same as he was in Colorado. But I think he should still be great. Uh, you know, we were already downgrading Arenado, though. And, and in my mind, it was because of how, you know, his 2020 season performance was kind of shaky, dealing with a shoulder injury. Where, where does that stand now? Is it entirely to blame for his step back? You know, probably, but we're already playing it a little safe with him because of that. And I think there's another reason to play it safe with him. So, so yeah, I'm fine leaving Arenado for somebody else unless I get him for uh, what in my mind would be a discount, which is going after Rafael Devers, going somewhere in the 45 to 50 range. And then I'll be happy to, uh, to be the one who takes the chance on him there. Yep, Arenado's ADP before this trade was 29. He was a consistent third-round pick. And I mentioned in our reaction that I think... Him potentially being traded was baked into that ADP already, but yes, it's going to fall. I think it should fall to the fourth round. I would still take him ahead of Rafael Devers, but I don't blame you for wanting to take the the safety uh, of Rafael Devers just because he's not changing locations, he's not changing venues, remains with the same team. So uh, it does add an aspect of um, uh, just something we're not uh, uncertainty. Uh, for Nolan Arenado. But again, you can go back and listen to that on demand uh, in our podcast feed. And of course, on our YouTube, we're going to be talking a lot about rookies that can make an impact this season. And of course, first year player draft rankings for 
dynasty, which led me to this, Scott. I wanted to ask you right at the top, which rookie do you expect to, to make the biggest impact in 2021 redraft leagues? Well, I should probably go with the one I ranked the highest, right? Which is Makes sense. Ian Anderson. Ian Anderson. Now, who, you know, it, it, it feels funny to call him a rookie because he was such a big part of the 2020 season and in the postseason he dominated and uh, he feels... He feels pretty proven at this point, but you know, technically still a rookie. Regular season innings, only 32 and a third. And, you know, we've seen players take a step back after that. It's just the strikeout potential, the ground ball potential. They both look so good for him. And um, yeah, he's he's the one I take first. Now there is a possibility they play it safe with the innings. I would say it's a likelihood they play it safe with the innings. And so maybe in terms of just raw stats, somebody like Randy Arozarena ends up being the more impactful rookie. Uh, you know, it feels even weirder to call him a rookie because he was in the majors before 2020 and he was he hit 17 home runs last year between the regular season and playoffs. But of course, only the regular season at bats count against that rookie eligibility, and uh, he still qualifies. So. So yeah, one of those two. If, if you're forcing me to pick a hitter, it's probably smarter to pick a hitter um, than it would be Arrows Arena. But Ian Anderson is the one I'd take first. Yeah, based on ADP, Randy Arrows Arena is the first rookie off the board. According to Fantasy Pros, 69.3 is the ADP going in the sixth round of Rose Arena, while Ian Anderson is he's still going pretty high. 94.3 is the ADP for Ian Anderson and... I'm excited about him. I think that he proved a good amount last year. He made 10 starts between the regular and the postseason. Again, this is Ian Anderson. He allowed nine earned runs during that span, a 1.59 ERA, 1.10 whip, 65 strikeouts in 51 innings pitched, uh, and that include, included two starts in the postseason against the Dodgers, one in the regular season against the Yankees. That was actually his debut. Oh, against- oh, oh no, he had four postseason starts. Oh, yeah, no, he had four postseason starts. Two of them were against yeah, the Dodgers, though, yeah. Right. The best two were against the Reds and Marlins. He was he shut them down. One of the two starts against the Dodgers wasn't so hot, but, you know, it's the Dodgers. He was a rookie. Got to look at the body of work. Yeah, and, and the body is there, you know? So he has three pitches, mid-90-mile-per-hour fastball. He has a curveball. He has a changeup. It seems like everything is there for Ian Anderson. I just don't really know what the workload is going to look like. Uh, the projection systems on fan graphs, there's five different projections. They have him between 121 and 145 innings. So if he's giving you that as the 31st starting pitcher off the board, going inside the top 100... You're probably going to be disappointed. So, Scott, I'll just ask you this regarding Ian Anderson. Uh, what would you want him as in a redraft league? Your SP4, your SP5, and how does he compare to veterans that maybe we feel better about what their inning projection is going to be? Maybe guys like a Patrick Corbin or even a Charlie Morton, let's say. How does Ian Anderson compare to names like that? Well, I, I put Ian Anderson... In my tiers, I, I call him one of the fallback options. So I, I guess, you know, if you're looking for a two-word phrase, what to describe him as, it would be that. Uh, he is the highest in that tier for me. And he's my 35th ranked pitcher. So I'm, I'm, you get to the 35th spot in my starting pitcher rankings, and I'm already referring to them as fallback options, which tells you a little bit about how that position breaks down. So, you know, for me personally, wanting to have 
wanting to go into the season with the best pitching in the league, ideally, uh, I would I would want him as no more than my number five. I think if you get him as your number four, you know, 35th pitcher, so I'm ranking him as a number three, right? In the 12-team league, a low-end number three. Um, so if you're, you know, if if you're if you're distributing starting pitchers evenly among the 12 teams, he's a number three. But personally, I want him as my number five. All right, so before we get to the rest of the all-rookie team, Ian Anderson is on that team representing the starting pitchers. I uh, did want to hit some news and notes from the weekend. Uh, Didi Gregorius returns to the Philadelphia Phillies on a two-year, $28 million deal. Really good in 2020. Didi Gregorius, 284 batting average, 10 homers, 40 RBI, three steals, played in all 60 games. Uh, that is a 25 home run, 100 RBI, 7 steal pace over the course of 150 games. He finishes the number 9 shortstop in both Roto and in head-to-head fantasy points per game. Scott, we both have Didi Gregorius as the 14th shortstop in our Roto ranks. Uh, I have him as a shortstop 14 in head-to-head points. You have him one spot lower in that format. I like Didi, and I think you like him too. The problem is... I just can't see moving him higher, any higher in the rankings because just ahead of him, you have yeah. names like Javier Baez and Dansby Swanson. So I think Didi's just kind of cemented as that shortstop 14, 15 range. Yeah, no, it, it would be, it would have been more likely a case of moving Gregorius down if he signed somewhere in a bigger park, because I think his power potential is, is highly dependent on the venue he plays. And, you know, he had those good years in Yankee stadium, obviously uh, a great, park for left-handers to hit home runs. Philadelphia, small park, of course. If he had gone to the Reds, that would have been fine, too. Uh, and, and and it makes me... You know, he, he leads the fallback options tier at shortstop. He's the top of that tier at that position, and I feel more comfortable taking him now as my starter if I just get... Uh, you know, if I get... If I get... If, 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 if I get left out uh, at the other spots. So... Um, yeah, happy he landed where he did. Can keep him where he is in the rankings. and can feel more comfortable about drafting him. Mm-hmm. Again, that is Didi Gregorius headed back to the Philadelphia Phillies within ADP right now. I believe is hovering around 160. Yes, 160.3, uh, just behind Tommy Edmond and just ahead of Ha Seung Kim. So pretty good value there on Didi Gregorius. This came out on Sunday. This was probably the biggest story of the weekend regarding uh, the MLB, outside of Nolan Arenado, of course. Tim Brown of Yahoo Sports reported that the MLB offered a proposal to the Players Association that would delay the season by one month. Details include opening day would move from April 1st to April 28th. Spring training games would start March 28th rather than February 22nd. 154 games instead of 162, uh, yet the season is only extended by one week, so we probably would see uh, some planned double headers. Universal DH was included in the proposal, as was the expanded postseason, and since then, it came out also on Sunday. Bob Nightingale reported the players are expected to reject this offer, uh, but more chatter about this delay, Scott, so just kind of keep that in the back of your mind. Everyone who's listening, watching, I think that they've mentioned this enough where it's a very real possibility that we're starting towards the end of April for the regular season rather than uh, the end of March, beginning of April. So just thought we'd hit on that. Yeah. Although it's, it's important to keep in mind that if there's no agreement, 
we know what the schedule is. Spring training, players report mid-February, spring training games start late February, opening day is April 1st. This, this is not something the league can decide unilaterally. The two sides would need to agree to any change to that. So, you know, I, I think it's still likely that's what we end up with, but there are there are incentives maybe to push it back. Clearly, clearly the owners think so. Um, so we'll wait and see. I mean, just from our perspective, it's frustrating because like not as many people played fantasy baseball last year because there was such there there was you know, it threw off everybody's routine, you know? Yep. And and just uh, delaying things a month, I I fear it would be the same thing where everybody just kind of like ah whatever I'll I'll pick it up again in 2022, which of course means maybe they never pick it up again at all. So <laughs> I'm rooting to start again on schedule. Um, you know, obviously we want everybody to be safe. I'm not sure that's really what's driving the the thinking behind possibly pushing it back. I think it's more about wanting to get fans in the stands for a higher percentage of the games, which I, I don't know that anybody can predict that with great accuracy anyway, when that's going to happen. So I, 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 I'm hope I'll just go ahead and say, I'm hoping they start on schedule as planned. Uh, but we'll see. We'll see. Obviously there is, there is uh that may not happen. Look, and we want baseball back as, as bad as everybody else, right? Uh, obviously we want it to be done safely. Um, we're rooting for baseball to start on time with the the actual projected schedule that they have as of now. But um, yeah, no, it's a good point that you bring up though, because is it really going to make things safer if they start April 28th rather than April 1st? I mean, that would mean the hope is that all the players and coaches would get vaccinated by then. And that just doesn't seem realistic. So the whole point of them pushing it back really is to just try and get fans in the stands, which... Is that really right. the safest possible thing either? Probably not, but a discussion for another day doesn't really matter for fantasy purposes. Our guy, Masahiro Tanaka, maybe not our guy, my guy, Yankee fan, wearing the hat here, uh, he signed a two-year deal to return to Japan with the Rakuten Golden Eagles. Mentioned he has unfinished business in the MLB, so that's interesting. I guess there's a chance that we see him return at some point, but he is, I believe, 34 years old, uh, He'll be 36 by the time this two-year deal ends in Japan. So again, if you have Masahiro Tanaka on a keeper dynasty league, he will not be pitching this year and will not be pitching next year either. Some smaller news items from the weekend. Carlos Rodon back to the White Sox on a one-year $3 million deal. He will compete with with Ronaldo Lopez for the fifth starter job. I guess Michael Kopech probably works his way into that mix somewhere as well. But my guess is Kopech probably starts in the bullpen. I don't have anything to back that up. That's just a hunch that I'm getting right now regarding Michael Kopech. The Reds are still hoping to acquire Ahmed Rosario to fill their shortstop vacancy. We spoke about Andres Jimenez last week and how uh, signing Cesar Hernandez was bad for both Andres Jimenez and Cesar Hernandez. So if they can make a trade here, then everyone's happy and we have everyday playing time for both Jimenez and Ahmed Rosario. So definitely something that I am rooting for. The Cubs signed Trevor Williams to a one-year deal. The Twins have made an offer to Nelson Cruz, though the Dodgers and your brave Scotty remain interested mm -hmm. in Nelson was Cruz. That, was that my preseason prediction for Cruz? Uh, not preseason prediction, but back early in the offseason, we were <sighs> predicting where all these free agents would land. I kind of feel like I said Cruz to the Braves. I, I might be able to pull that up for you. Obviously, that would probably depend 
on uh, a new agreement between the players and the owners. I mean, it would depend on that. So, you know, I guess some conflicting interests there for me. You know, we have not been paying attention to that free agency invitational that we did. <laughs> yeah. Trevor Bauer hasn't signed yet. I'm looking at it now, the results that we had. We did this way back on November 10th. So this was a while ago. Uh, JT Real Muto, we both predicted to the Mets. That did not happen. George Springer to, I said, the Phillies. You said the Rockies. <laughs> did not happen. <laughs> uh, I said the Yankees for DJ LeMahieu. Yeah, yay me. Scott said the Angels. Mm-hmm. Uh, Marcel Lazuna still has not signed. Francisco Lindor, I said to the Mets. Scott said to the Phillies. We both said Arenado to the Cardinals. That's fun. You Darvish. You Darvish. Awesome. Um, I said Got to one. the Twins. You said to the Reds. Ah. But what was I thinking? Interesting. All right. We both got Stroman wrong. Both got Hendricks wrong. <laughs> All right. I'm going to look over this and I'm going to conjure up the results and see, see how well or how poorly we're doing on that. Uh, where was I here? All right. Nelson Cruz. Right. So he's weighing his offers. He hasn't accepted anything because he's waiting to see if there will be a universal DH, which would drive up his price, obviously, with uh, National League teams able to bid on him as well. The Rays, Mets, Twins, and White Sox are all interested in Mike Fulton-Nevich, who had a showcase late last week where he was sitting 90 to 92 miles per hour with his fastball. He averaged 96 miles per hour back in 2018, which was his best season. So there's a chance we could see the fastball velocity tick up, you know, as he works his way back in if he signs with a team. But will he ever be the uh, the faulty of old? I am pessimistic to say the least. Uh, before we get into the all-rookie team, just want to remind everyone that if you're a big football fan, you know that the biggest sporting fan, the biggest sporting spectacle, excuse me, of the year is nearly upon us. We know everyone loves making their picks, no matter if you're a diehard fan or just tuning in for the big game. So we think you'll also love this opportunity. Enter the CBS Sports Football props game for your chance to compete for the $1 million jackpot. That's right, $1 million if you correctly answer all of the questions and a guaranteed $50,000 to the winner. And you could win all that money without risking anything. Football props is free to play. Speaking of the big game, of course, it's airing this Sunday, February 7th, 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time on CBS, which me- which means you can also watch it on CBS All Access and the CBS Sports app as well. It is February, which means we are upping our content volume. You'll now hear Fantasy Baseball today, Monday through Friday, five times per week with Scott, Chris, most weeks. Scott's, uh, Chris is out this week because he's been working his tail off since the start of the football season. Well-deserved with Scott, Chris, and myself. Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. On Wednesdays, you will continue to hear our buddies Danny Vietti and Will Middlebrooks, who talk more about things from a general baseball perspective, and they also have fantastic guests on as well. Um, This week, mentioned no Chris, we have Ariel Cohen from... uh, does the ATC projections that you can find on Fangraphs. They're also on Sportsline. Um, and he just does great work in the industry. I think he took home the the Tout Wars 
head-to-head points salary cap draft last year. We competed in that together. So we will have uh, Ariel on tomorrow's podcast to talk about his projections and a little bit of salary cap draft strategy. And then later in the week, we have Vlad Sedler from Elite Fantasy and Fantasy Guru joining us on Friday. Last but not least, our rankings, which we continuously talk about here, are live on the site. Roto, head-to-head points, AO only, NO only, mixed leagues, whatever you play in, we have uh, our rankings and our salary cap auctions available on the site. Scott, someone emailed in and asked which rankings they should use if they play in a head-to-head categories league. Now, I think it depends what your categories are. If they are, if they include OBP or any type of total bases, I would say probably follow our head-to-head points rankings. If they are strict 5 by 5 head-to-head categories with steals and batting average, I would say follow our Roto rankings. Does that make sense? For the most part, I mean, it's not... It's not a perfect correlation because Roto rankings are established for a certain lineup, a five outfielder lineup, middle infield spot, corner infield spot. Of course, points, head-to-head points rankings are going to elevate pitchers beyond what a head-to-head categories league would use. I mean, you shouldn't be following any rankings to the letter anyway, I would say. So you got to know your own format. If you're going to play in one of the ones that aren't as standard on CBS, then, you know, got to make those mental adjustments. Our email of the day, this one's from Matt in NorCal. Dear Buner, Junior, and Suzuki. Sounds like Mariners greats in the outfield. That is correct. Jay Buner, uh, Ken Griffey Jr., and Ichiro Suzuki. Looking for prospect draft advice. Dynasty startup, 16-team head-to-head categories. I assume Wander will go first. I'm praying he doesn't. That was all caps, a bunch of exclamation points. Who would you draft at number two? Jared Kalenic, Julio Rodriguez, Joe Adele, Mackenzie Gore, or someone else? I thought this was a nice little precursor into our all-rookie team, Scott. So who would you take second overall? One of those names or potentially someone else? Probably Kalenic. Or, sorry, Kelnick. Jared Kelnick. It looks like Kalenic. You want to say Kalenic. It's not phonetical, all right? It's Kelnick. Jared Kelnick of the Mariners. Five-category potential there. Uh, I do have McKenzie Gore second in my prospect rankings. I don't think there's anything wrong with taking him if you want to go the pitcher route, but head-to-head categories league is is less the format I'd do that in. And... Uh, as much as I like pitching, I like proven pitching p- most of all. I do think Mackenzie Gore is far and away the best pitching prospect. I think he's the failure potential is pretty low considering, but probably Kelnick in this situation. Yeah, I think that makes sense as well. Some people would say Julio Rodriguez second overall. I know the Welsh is very big on Julio Rodriguez. And I believe he has him second overall. When you guys did your prospect podcast together the first week of January while I was away. Um, yeah, but I would go with uh, Kelnick as well. The all-rookie team, you could find this on the website, cbssports.com slash fantasy slash baseball. Scott put together some of his picks for the all-rookie team in 2021. And we'll start with the pitchers. We mentioned Ian Anderson. We spoke about Sixto Sanchez last week as well in our Sleepers, Breakouts, and Bus 1.0 podcast, which leaves... Tristan McKenzie, Michael Kopech, 
and Davey Garcia as the other pitchers you have on the all-rookie team for this upcoming season. Scott, how are you feeling about Tristan McKenzie? Because he is someone that I'm seeing drop in ADP, drop in some drafts that I'm doing right now, and I think people overall are a little bit worried about what the workload could look like him uh, for him. He's dealt with some with quite a few injuries in the past. He has a slight frame, but Scott, when Tristan McKenzie pitched last year, he was really damn good. Yeah, he was. His numbers actually uh, compare, well, at least in terms of like strikeouts, they compare to Ian Anderson. The ERA was a little higher. I mean, Ian Anderson was 195, so can't really compare there. But 324 for McKenzie. McKenzie actually had a lower whip, 0.9 whip. Durability has been the biggest question with him. It was the question for him in the minors. You know, he's so such a slight build for being six foot five, and um, he missed all the 2019 season. So I, I think it makes sense to think that Cleveland's going to take extra care in preserving him. And and I think he's already being discounted in drafts because of that. I don't think it needs to be discounted anymore. I think inning for inning, he's going to be as trustworthy if not more so than anyone else you could draft in the range where he's going. And certainly for an exercise like this, the all-rookie team, just to kind of explain the concept. Um, I mean, it's kind of self-explanatory, but it's not necessarily the best prospect that will play some in 2021 at each position. And it's not necessarily the prospects that'll play the most at each position in 2021. You're kind of marrying the two, right? The, the, the single prospect at each position who I expect to make the biggest fantasy impact, both because of how good he is and how long he's going to be up. And this is for redraft too, just so people don't get confused and think like this is keeper or dynasty rankings. These are players who, again, will make an impact this season um, and will be really good when when they're on the field, whether on the mound or at the dish, whatever it might be. Uh, Tristan McKenzie, the ADP right now, he is the 51st starting pitcher off the board at pick 166.3. I've heard some people talk about him potentially starting in the minors. I just don't know if they have... That luxury. They have Bieber, Plesak, and Savale as their top three starting pitchers. And then you get into there's McKenzie, there's Logan Allen, there's Cal Quantrill. Is McKenzie going to make 30 plus starts? Probably not, but I think he will at least be in the rotation uh, on opening day. So once we get into that, you know, your bench starting pitchers, you're looking for guys that could just make an impact when they're on the mound. I think Tristan McKenzie is someone that you should be targeting. Scott, I mentioned Michael Kopech. I expect him to start the year in the bullpen. I don't want to speak for both of us. What is your expectation for uh, Kopech's usage, uh, at least early on in the season for the White Sox? Well, at the time I put this together, I was expecting him to have a rotation spot. I mean, to obviously have to earn it in spring training, but thinking that's what would happen. That was before they got Carlos Rodon who wasn't any good last year, his first year coming back from Tommy John surgery, and I, I kind of think he's washed. So it's it's probably a matter of time. I don't know if that means Kopech in the bullpen. I don't know if that means Kopech in the minors. I don't even know if the, <laughs> to what extent the minors will exist this year. Um, but it's it's I, I, I do think it's still possible Kopech could just beat him out in spring training. I'm not ruling that out because of the Rodon signing, citing, just to be clear. But it is a bigger question mark at this point. Uh, I love Kopech. I think he's a post-type sleeper. You know, he hasn't pitched since 2018. So everybody's 
kind of over waiting for Michael Kopech, but like his last stretch in the minors leading up to his promotion was dominant. Every appearance he made in the majors, other than the one where they found out he needed Tommy John surgery afterward, they were all great. He is overpowering and he's really gotten the stuff under control after some walk issues in the minors. So, you know, no telling how much that's changed after all he's been through the past two years, but he, uh, he certainly had the stuff still for that one appearance he made in spring training last year. And yeah, I mean, you mentioned the stuff. He throws mid-90s with a fastball. Last time we saw him in uh, 2018, made four starts with the White Sox, nine, averaged 95.4 miles per hour on the fastball. Again, this is Michael Kopech. He throw, threw a curveball around 11% of the time, slider 17%, changeup 10%. So he's got a four-pitch arsenal, throws... Pretty damn hard. Uh, the ADP right now for Kopech is 257.3. He might be someone in a redraft league that you want to hold on to early just as we kind of figure out what his role is. But, you know, come first month of the season, you know, as we get further in, if he does earn a, a rotation spot, is someone that just does have pretty, pretty good upside. Uh, again, that is Michael Kopech. Let's move over to who you have in the outfield and designated hitter here, Scott. Randy Arozarena. Dylan Carlson, Alex Kirilov, and Ryan Mountcastle. I want to focus on Dylan Carlson here, who I was very excited about last year. I think most people were excited about him and continued to rise up draft boards all throughout uh, spring training, summer camp training. Um, at once we realized it looked like he was going to have a near everyday role for the St. Louis Cardinals. His first 23 games for Carlson. Pretty bad. Pretty bad. 162 batting average, 29% strikeout rate, one homer, and three doubles. He got sent back to the alternate site and then came back his final 12 games. 278 batting average, still a 30% strikeout rate, though his swinging strike rate went down about 3% during that time. Uh, Two homers, four doubles, played three postseason games against the Padres, batted cleanup in each of them. Went three for nine with a double, a steal, four walks, and three strikeouts. Scott, you have Carlson as your outfielder 45. I have him as my outfielder 34 in Roto. So a little bit of a disparity here. I think I'm just kind of chasing the upside, and that might be the difference between us two. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think probably you're closer to the consensus. It's been apparent from mock drafts so far that I'm kind of the low guy on Carlson. And it's because that range of outfielders, I don't think there's a need to chase upside. There's enough upside from more proven players in the 30 to 40 range in the outfield. Uh, but, you know, it could work out great. I mean, Carlson, I think I think the comparison, the, the comp I've settled on for Carlson, you know, presuming he meets his upside here in, in his first full season is is kind of a speedier Michael Conforto, which would be... A great fantasy player, probably a top 20 fantasy player or fantasy outfielder. Um, so yeah, I can I can understand the I can understand the enthusiasm for Carlson. I just don't think it's necessary. It's 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 uh it's it's a point in the draft where you don't really need to sell out for upside just yet. And specifically with Carlson and the Cardinals lineup, something that I will be paying close attention to throughout spring training is what do they do in terms of just the lineup in general? Where are they positioning guys? Um, what does the order look like if they acquire Nolan Arenado? Uh, as of now, roster resource has Dylan Carlson batting cleanup for the Cardinals. 
Uh, but I've seen some people, I read an article from The Athletic over the weekend that had him potentially leading off for the Cardinals. So either way, you know, if he's leading off or batting fifth right behind Goldschmidt and, and Arenado, uh, he's either going to be scoring a lot of runs or there's going to be a lot of RBI opportunities. So batting average might be a bit of a question mark. I think Conforto has a better hit tool in general, Scott, but um, it's not it's not a bad comp. Um, good eye at the plate, well, walks a decent I, bit. Um I just expect I, I a few more strikeouts. Prior to last year, Michael Conforto's career batting average was 253. So just. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, all right, know, so, I'm, I'm thinking 270, 280 range for Carlson if, you know, in a good scenario. Yeah. I mean, if he gets that with 20 plus homers, potentially double digit steals, man, there's a lot to like about uh, Dylan Carlson, someone that I am pretty excited about. Scott, your thoughts on Alex Kirilov, who is one of the top prospects for the Minnesota Twins? I believe most. Prospect uh, places have him as number two, right behind Royce Lewis. Uh, but we saw him make his debut, oddly enough, in the postseason last year. And he went one for four. He only played one game with a single. Uh, but good hit tool. Could hit for batting average. That's what he did in the minors. I think there's big power there as well. And it seems like Kirilov is going to play every day. So someone going right around that 300 range in ADP. Your thoughts on Kirilov? I'm a Kirilov truther. Yep. I'm not alone. I love his ADP. I'm sometimes beaten to drafting him because there are other Kirilov truthers out there, and I'm, I'm trying to maximize the discount for him. But I, I think he's going to catch a lot of people by surprise this year, and the, the non-truthers are going to be are going to uh, be made to believe by his performance because he just he just seems like an exceptional hitter. 2019. You look at those most recent minor league stats, and they're they're underwhelming, and that's why I think people don't recognize how good he is. But you look at the year before in 2018, and you consider he was dealing with a wrist injury all of 2019, and then you hear the reports that were coming out of the alternate training site last year for Kirilov and how he was raking there. You see Baseball America, their latest rankings and ratings for player this year. They give Kirilov a 70-hit tool Ooh. and a power tool. So, like, I mean, 60 is great by itself. So the fact that they're giving him that for power and then they're giving him a 70, which is just amazing. You don't see many players get a 70 grade and many prospects get a 70 grade for anything. Uh, that shows you how high Baseball America is on Kirilov. And, uh, yeah, I'm buying it. I love it. Yep. And ADP right now has Kirilov as the 86th outfielder off the board. And... I have him outfielder 55. You have him outfielder 54, Scott. So we are simpatico. We are buying in on Kirilov, who even if they sign Nelson Cruz, I still think would have the opportunity to at least play every day against right-handed pitching from the get-go. Again, that is Alex Kirilov. Let's run through the rest of these positions on your all-rookie team. Again, you can find these results, uh, this team at cbsports.com. At catcher, you have Alejandro Kirk, who is a, uh, a burly little fella but with a big <laughs> hit tool. Career 315 hitter in the minors with a 918 OPS. Never had a strikeout rate higher than 11%. And he had a walk rate over 13% at every level. So the guy checks out in terms of plate discipline, uh, putting the ball in play. The question, Scott, the biggest question for him is what will the playing time look like because it seems like he's going to split time with Danny Jansen at least to start, uh, and there are no more DH at bats around, you know, 
for either one of these guys. So uh, what do you think the playing time looks like for Alejandro Kirk to start? Yeah, I mean, it remains to be seen if everybody's going to stay healthy, if everybody's going to perform up to expectations. Your boy Rowdy Telez, is he, is he the real deal? Because that will affect Kirk's playing time too. I think Kirk, the the, the consensus is Kirk's bat, Alejandro Kirk's bat is, is very safe. He's going to produce with the bat. Is he going to hold up defensively behind the plate? That remains to be seen. Um, I've, I've seen Pablo Sandoval comps used for him before, which would suggest no. I mean, that part of that is is the rotundness that he and uh, <laughs> that Kirk and Sandoval share as well. But it, it also refers to the hit tool, and especially early in his career. Remember, Sandoval was um, a great source of batting average with enough power for it to play up. So, uh, you know, f- as long as Kirk's retaining that catcher eligibility and starting half the time, no guarantee he will this year, but there's a pretty good chance. Uh, I think he's going to be a fantasy asset. And I think people are just gonna people are just gonna fall in love with him. He's gonna be what the profile isn't exactly the same offensively, but he's gonna be what people wanted Williams Estudio to be. This just kind of round guy who's fun to root for <laughs> and makes a ton of contact, and they're gonna love him. No body shaming here on Fantasy Baseball today. The ADP for Alejandro Kirk is 305 as the 20th catcher off the board. Both Scott and I have Kirk as our 20th ranked catcher in Roto, which is where you would want to target him as your second catcher in a points league. You don't want him as your number one catcher unless he does earn everyday playing time. Uh, Then the profile definitely fits for Alejandro Kirk. At first base, Scott, you have Bobby Dahlbeck of the Boston Red Sox, who in 2020 made his debut, hit 263 with eight home runs and a 959 OPS, only played 23 games, really good eye at the plate, nearly 11% walk rate during that span, but also a 42% strikeout rate. Dahlbeck kind of seems like your prototypical slugger, Scott, where he's going to have a low batting average, he's going to strike out, but he also has really big pop. I noticed that you have him ranked over names like Rowdy Telez and Nate Lowe, guys who I like quite a bit. Uh, so I did just want to ask you about your ranking of Bobby Dahlbeck. Yeah, a lot of that's playing time. I have concerns for Lowe and um, and definitely for Telez. If I didn't, then I'd probably rank them behind Dahlbeck. But, you know, Dahlbeck hit eight home runs and 92 plate appearances last year, so I know the power's going to play. Uh, one thing that gets overlooked with him is he actually cut his strikeout rate to 25%, 25.1% his last year in the minors, which is not a bad strikeout rate today's standards at all. Uh, it's not a good strike rate, but it's not bad. And um, it wasn't reflected in the batting average. He still hit 234, so that was kind of weird. He didn't hit as many home runs as we're used to seeing him hit. So there, just a weird stat line for Dahlbeck in the minors in 2019, and I'm not exactly sure what to make of it. But my assumption is he's going to be a three-true outcomes player, and he's going to play virtually every day for the Red Sox, which was the biggest reason why he represents first base here on this team. Um other than its starting pitcher, which you'll notice, and they're in the column. I have tons of honorable mentions in the column, but you'll notice out of, out of the, the five starting pitchers I left out, guys like Nate Pearson, Tariq Skubal, uh, Spencer Howard, uh, a, lot of, a lot of pitchers who we expect to make a big contribution this year. They had to be left out. So other than the tough calls I had to make at starting pitcher, this was the toughest call for this all-rookie team, choosing Bobby Dahlbeck over Andrew Vaughn. 
And, you know, it, it, it really comes down to how soon you expect Andrew Vaughn to be up. If you expect him to be up in May or the second month of the season, whatever month that ends up being, uh, then probably Vaughn would be, uh, would be the representative at first base here for the all-rookie team. But I'm not counting on that. I have Dahlbeck ranked higher than Vaughn in my redraft rankings, so I kind of just stuck with that. But Vaughn certainly has more upside. Yeah, Vaughn has only played 55 games in the minors, and he has not played above high A ball. So as much as we like Vaughn, and I think we're going to see him at some point in 2021, they probably want to see how he fares at double A, maybe even get him some triple A at bats. Uh, Again, Vaughn, the former first round pick in 2019 by the White Sox. He is 22 years old, will turn 23 on April 3rd. At second base, speaking of the White Sox, you have Nick Madrigal, who separated his left shoulder, had surgery in October, and is was expected to miss five to six months. So that puts him right on track for March, April, the ADP, right outside the top 200 as the 23rd second baseman off the board. Scott, I know we've done a lot of mock drafts together, and I feel like Nick Madrigal is usually a target for you as a middle infielder, specifically in roto drafts, because he should give you at least 15, maybe even 20-plus steals. Yeah, and sometimes I've just drafted him straight up at second base because it's easier to get two shortstops than than a second baseman and a shortstop, you know? So, uh, yeah, I like... I don't know exactly how the shoulder is going to affect him. I'd worry more if Madrigal was a power hitter, and maybe that's an oversimplification because, you know, obviously he still needs strength to hit line drives. But I, I just don't worry about it that much with him. And, like, he is such an easy bet for batting average because he never strikes out. He struck out um, seven times in 103 at-bats last year in the majors, and the strikeout rate's even lower in the minors. So he's going to hit for average. I'm hopeful he runs. He had a 35 steal season most recently in the minors, so he's capable of doing it. We didn't see much of it from him in the majors. But um, because he's not a power hitter, I think there's a good chance he does run. And, and if you can get batting average and steals at a weak position late in a roto league, sounds like a good deal to me. Yeah, I don't mind the ADP right now. Pretty solid value for Madrigal. Uh, I just want to see him healthy in the in uh, spring training. Um, but I guess if we see him healthy, that's going to drive the price up. So <laughs> the the time to get him is now. I'm also hoping that under Tony La Russa, the new manager for the White Sox, that they just run more in general as a team. Under Rick yeah. Renteria, they really did not run all that much. And we were saying for years, please let Yoan Moncada, let Tim Anderson, let them run more because those guys had some really big uh, seal seasons in the minors. So under Tony La Russa, I, I looked this up. His Cardinals days, he didn't really have personnel that ran all that much. Pujols would steal like 15 bases a year, which is still kind of weird to me even now. But uh, Tony La Russa was also the manager of the Oakland A's back in the 90s when Ricky Henderson was on the team. So it helps having Ricky Henderson, but uh, crossing my fingers, hoping there for the White Sox. We'll end here. The all-rookie team, third base and shortstop, potentially the two biggest names on the list, right? Uh, Cabrian Hayes, who you have... Profess your love for Scott. You are a big fan of Cabrian Hayes. But since we last talked about him, the lineup has gotten worse. And typically, you know, for guys like Jose Ramirez, Trevor Story, maybe it doesn't matter as much. But for a young player like Hayes, I, I do worry a little bit more about the lineup context being worse for him now in Pittsburgh. And, and it 
you know, it seems like they're going to continue to ship out players. So uh, give me your thoughts on the lineup context for Hayes. And then at shortstop, you have Wander Franco, who is the number one prospect in baseball. When do you think we'll see him at some point this season? I think we'll see Wander Franco sooner than later. There were some uh, more immediate examples I could have put on this team instead of him. Like, uh, you know, maybe if the Reds don't get a shortstop, you could... Uh, blanking on the name, Jose Garcia, right? Yep. Uh, you, you could go with him as the representative at shortstop on the all-rookie team, but I don't see enough offensive potential there to pass up the guy who clearly has a ton of it, and, and I expect it to be sooner than later. Maybe the second month of the season, Wander Franco will be uh, playing every day for the Rays. Uh, Brian Hayes. So I want to ask you, because I, I, I it, it's, it's frequently a talking point in the preseason you know, is that does this guy have enough help in his lineup? But can you can you honestly remember a guy who was ruined by the lack of support, a loss of support around him? It ruined his fantasy value because I can't, I can't think of that guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's on the spot. I'll think about it the next couple of days and see if I could come up with someone. Um, but you're right. Look, if a player is good enough, it's probably not going to matter. And if Cabrian Hayes comes anywhere close to what he showed us last year, then again, it probably won't matter. Uh, one of the most recent examples of a player on a really, really bad team where he just overcame everything was Trey Mancini in 2019. I mean, look at that Orioles team. It was bad. It was a very bad team and he was still really good for fantasy. So, uh, I guess if that player is that good, then it doesn't matter. Um, the one thing I would say the difference is that Mancini was an established, you know, veteran-ish type player, and Cabrian Hayes is, it's really still his first season, right? So I just wonder if it will have more of an effect on him just because he's younger yeah. versus some of the veterans, you know, Scott? Yeah, no, that, that's a good point. I, I like that he makes so much contact, and that was consistent even during his minor league seasons when he wasn't so productive all the way around. Uh, I do want to point this out for Cabrian Hayes because MLB.com recently came out with their top 100 for the new season, uh, MLB Prospect Pipeline. And they have new ratings for all the players in, in the top 100 that they released. Now, Baseball America, you know, still seemed kind of... They, they, they gave Cabrian Hayes the middling offensive grades that they always gave him, but... MLB.com's with me. They shot him way up. They give him a 60-hit tool now and a 55-power tool, which is I mean, star level uh, for both of those areas for Cabrian Hayes. They have him as their ninth prospect, number nine prospect, heading wow. into 2021. So they are convinced, just like I am, that what we saw in the majors down the stretch where he just crushed the ball to all fields, more over-the-fence power than... We ever saw from him in the minors that it's it's a legit transformation from a guy who had it coming, and uh, they're projecting him to be a star. So, Brian Hayes, don't sleep on him. Scott, I will just read this lineup and we'll end it here. Adam Frazier, Cabrian Hayes, Colin Moran, Brian Reynolds, Gregory Polanco, Anthony Alford, Jacob Stallings, Eric Gonzalez. Not like not, not looking not great, great in Pittsburgh. Um, no. We will wrap there. What we're going to do now is oh, we're not wrapping up the show. Uh, we're just wrapping up this segment. But uh, we're going to take a quick break. If you're listening on the podcast side, if you're watching on the video side, just stay right here because we're not going to go anywhere. But on the podcast side, we'll be back right after this. 
Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. Homes.com offers in-depth neighborhood guides with detailed video overviews, comprehensive narratives, and unbiased information from a multitude of sources. You thought we go in-depth with player analysis on fantasy baseball today? You haven't seen anything yet. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood complete with a video guide. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. When looking at local schools, they offer test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together, and nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck, and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. All right, so first-year player draft rankings. I did just want to touch on these, Scott, you have uh, coming out. By the time people are listening to this, likely on Monday, they'll already be out. Uh, First-year player draft rankings for those playing in Dynasty Leagues. You have your top 30 rankings on the site. Um, before we actually talk about the players themselves, I just wanted to ask your general approach to the first-year player draft in this style of format. Uh, do you draft for need? Do you go best player available? Um, highest upside? Do you look more at proximity? I know that that's something that you consider for your prospects. So all-encompassing, mm-hmm. what is your approach in a first-year player draft? Yeah, I like them to be closer than not. I like to know if they're going to sink or swim sooner so I can move on to something else if I'm wasting my time with them. I don't like waiting years for a guy who ultimately doesn't pan out. So, uh, you know, first-year player rankings, a first-year player drafted a dynasty league, it's mostly going to be comprised of the most recent draft class. Uh, So, you know, Spencer Torkelson obviously is going to lead off the list. And the most recent international signing class, which just happened in a couple weeks ago, actually. So these guys were just introduced uh, to the player pool. But that's, those are a lot of like 17-year-olds that, you know, who knows? Who knows what's going to become of them? So really only the best of the best make it on this list here, this top 30 of mine. It's mostly draft picks from back in, uh, when was the draft? Was it June or was it May? I can't remember exactly when it was. It was during the lockdown. Oh, there's baseball because there was a draft. It was the most interest maybe I ever had in the MLB draft. Um, So, you know, Spencer Torkelson, number one, obviously, and we'll see who else makes the list here. 
Yeah, I think it was late in May when the MLB draft took place in 2020. But let's focus on specifically the top 10 here. We'll hit on each of these players, talk a little bit about the international signings as well. You mentioned the name Spencer Torkelson, corner infielder. Remains to be seen whether he's going to play first or third base for the Detroit Tigers. He was the number one overall pick in the 2020 MLB draft. Uh, Lots of like here projects as a potentially 280 plus hitter, 30 to 35 home runs long-term. So uh, Torkelson is just really the best bet available. Number two, uh, I think you know, might change for some people, but Austin Martin, who slipped a little bit in the draft, most people considered him, you know, almost on par with Spencer Torkelson and, and was expected to go number two, really not fall past number three in the draft. And he lasted all the way to the number five pick for the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, Austin Martin could play shortstop, could play a little bit of third base, a plus hit tool with a power slash speed combination. Uh, Scott, if there at any point, if you just want to like jump in here and interrupt and, and talk about any of these players, feel free yeah. to uh, to do so. Austin Martin, anything there? So Austin Martin, I I, I think it's an Anthony Rendon like hitting profile. He's going to get on base a ton. He's going to. It's a great hit tool. How much power is he going to provide? There will be some. Is he going to? Is it going to make him a power hitter, quote-unquote? That's unclear. Uh, but, you know, I, I expect Austin Martin to have some 20-homer seasons in the majors, at least, if he doesn't become a 30-homer guy. And more likely center field or third base. He's listed as a shortstop right now. But uh, the bat should translate anywhere. And he's 22, so he's somebody who we should uh, be seeing in the majors before too long. Number three, this... Maybe a little bit of a surprise for some, but Nick Gonzalez, the second baseman for the Pittsburgh Pirates, the number seven pick in the 2020 draft, a 21-year-old four-year player out of New Mexico State, has a plus hit tool, potential 300 batting average, uh, 20 homer upside, maybe you know five to 10 steals. Uh, I'm kind of looking at a Jeff McNeil type player, Scott. Yeah, maybe. I, I've, I've seen all, uh, Dustin Pedroia comps for Nick Gonzalez as well. That's going a little further back, obviously. Kind of similar to Austin Martin, except less hope for him developing into a quote-unquote power hitter. There's not zero power there. He's not Nick Madrigal in that way. But Nick Gonzalez, uh, similar to Martin, but a lower ceiling. Yeah, let's get him to the majors sooner rather than later. Get some some help on the way for our guy, Cabrian Hayes. The next three in your first-year player draft rankings are all starting pitchers. And I've seen the order of these three uh, kind of change. I think it's subjective based on what you're looking for, but it's really these three that are at the top in terms of pitchers for these rankings. And you have an order four, five, six, Asa Lacey, the starting pitcher who went to the Kansas City Royals, a 21-year-old Southpaw. Uh, you have Emerson Hancock, fifth, who is a starting pitcher for the Mariners, 21-year-old out of the University of Georgia. And then Max Meyer, a starting pitcher for the Marlins, who will turn 22 in March out of the University of Minnesota. Lacey, Hancock, Meyer. Why do you have Lacey at the top, Scott? Just seems like the best combination of upside and... Um, him him already being so far along, having four well-developed pitches, good control. As quickly as the Royals moved uh, Brady Singer and Chris Bubich up the ladder, I mean, Lacey, I'd be surprised if we saw him this year, but it's not unthinkable, especially if the Royals find themselves surprisingly in contention. So 
Asa Lacey is as much as a pitching prospect can be. I, he, he feels pretty close to can't miss. Uh, Hancock and Meyer, I could go either way with them. Uh, Hancock kind of disappointed his last year in college. He, there was a time when he looked like he'd be the top pick in the draft. So some people are kind of down on Emerson Hancock, the Mariners pick. Um, but he's more developed than Max Meyer who for, of the Marlins, who great fastball, great slider, needs to develop a changeup if he's going to make it as a starter. If not, he probably has a future as a closer type. Mm-hmm. And uh, Meyer... The last one of that group, um, I think people are a little worried about his upside, Scott, because he's only six foot. So the other two, There's that yeah. In in, I, I think he's probably going to be make it as a starter. Okay, personally, yeah, he throws um, extremely hard too. I saw he has like a seventy grade yeah. fastball and seventy grade slider. So he just kind of oh, has to the figure slider out the rest. Comes close to ninety five. The fastball comes close to a hundred. He's going to miss a lot of bats with that pairing itself. But he probably needs that true off speed pitch, that change up, to make it as a starter there's enough hope that he'll develop it that I think he will. And the size thing I think gets overplayed a lot of the time. Seven through 10 on Scott's first year player draft rankings. We have Ha Young Kim, who was originally a shortstop in the KBO, but now he's probably going to play some combination of second base outfields. I think they're going to move him and Cronenworth around Ha Young Kim, 25 years old, coming off a career year in the KBO, 306 batting average, 30 homers, 23 steals, the top international player, uh, good plate discipline, more of a win-now piece in Dynasty Leagues. Uh, 8, 9, and 10, you have Zach Veen, the outfielder for the Colorado Rockies, uh, Garrett Mitchell, the outfielder for the Brewers, and Heston Kierstad, who, if you're wondering how that's spelled, it's K-J-E-R-S-T-A-D, Heston Kierstad, outfielder for the Baltimore Orioles. Who was actually the second pick in the draft, but it was... Kind of a surprise, uh, a way to save money to get a better pick later for the Orioles. A lot of power there for Kierstad, but it's it, it's not clear if he's going to be just a one-note hitter with the big power and that's it, or if, if they can shore up his mechanics enough to make him good all-around hitter. So that's why he comes in 10th here. Zach Veen is really the upside play among hitters coming out of high school, so it's going to be a wait for him, but... Colorado, obviously a good place for a hitter to land. So I've seen comparisons like Cody Bellinger for him in terms of the power potential. I've seen Kyle Tucker as well. Uh, so Zach Veen is is really trendy in, in fantasy circles especially. Uh, people really seem to like his potential, but it is a longer wait, so that's something to keep in mind. I generally don't like that. It's It also comes with more risk. I do want to talk about Ha-Sung Kim a little bit, even though he's kind of difference is he has professional experience from Korea. Uh, by putting him here in the first-year player rankings, like it, it kind of means I need to move him down my top 100 prospects where he's currently about 25th, I think. But when we did our prospects-only drafts last week, I found myself passing up Kim, not really, not really wanting to invest in him in a dynasty context because even though I like the idea of finding out sooner if a guy's going to sink or swim, it's like, like a little... St- a little too soon, you know, a month <laughs> into the season, he may have lost all his value because just like there's no power. Potentially there's, there's not enough power. He's not playing that much because the Padres are overloaded. So I'm a little worried about Kim really having enough of an impact to pass up these very exciting prospects that, um, 
that are also included on this list. So yeah, that's why he's seventh and I'm, I'm probably going to downgrade him to more like the 50 range in my top 100 prospects. No, it's a great point on Kim. And I will just point out that for dynasty, I think for like a first year player draft, you have to be realistic with yourself and your timeline and your, your team in general, right? Like, Take a good hard look at your team. If you know that you're not going to compete for the next couple of years or so, then you know maybe it t- it makes more sense to take a long play, like a Zach Veen, who's 19 years old, and it might take him two or three years to come up. But when he comes up, you mentioned some of the comps for him, Cody Bellinger um, and other big names like that. So I, I think that was MLB. Those were MLB.com's pipe uh, comps, by the way. I think that's where I saw Bellinger and Tucker cited as comparisons for... For Zach Veen, just to give credit where credit's due. Mm-hmm. So just be realistic with yourself when doing these first-year player drafts. Um, some other top international players besides uh, behind Kim includes a tier of three shortstops. Uh, of course, there's other international players, but these are the ones that I've seen on most lists being ranked the highest. It's Christian Hernandez, who is a 16-year-old shortstop from the Dominican Republic. He signed with the Cubs. Wilman Diaz, a 16-year-old who signed who, from Venezuela, who signed with the Dodgers. Uh, and Carlos Colmenares, who is a 17-year-old who signed with the Tampa Bay Rays. Um, I don't know if you have anything to add on those specific players, Scott, but... Um, what would be your approach to drafting one of them? Like, when would you actually do it? Well, uh, apparently, <laughs> in a first-year player draft, I would draft Hernandez 12th, Wilman Diaz 13th, and uh, th- those, I think, are the big two. I do have um, Carlos Colmenares here in the top 30 also, but I have him down at 25th behind guys like Aaron Sabato and Nick York. McAble, Reed Detmers. You got you may remember those names from the draft. So he's behind those. Uh, but Christian Hernandez, Wilman Diaz, 12th and 13th. And it's because it seems like they're they're already at a point with their hitting that I I don't think they're just gonna get swallowed up by the minors and lose all their value in next year. You're looking for somebody else to fill those minor league spots. Christian Hernandez is my favorite of him. He gets the the Alex Rodriguez, Manny Machado comp, comp that gets thrown around a lot, but obviously speaks to the upside. It's it you know it has to do with how he's built, what his hitting instincts already are, what kind of what you can project for his power because of his build, and he's pretty exciting there for the Cubs. Christian Hernandez, Wilman Diaz, I think is even f- like shows even more hitting potential presently and you don't even have to project as much for him as young as he is. I mean, you're doing quite a bit of projection still, but um, seems like he has a very strong offensive profile as well. So those two, if you're willing to wait longer, the upside seems enticing and they seem like they have the best chance of, you know, I, I, I think of how in my dynasty look, leagues I look on with envy at the guy who was willing to invest in Wander Franco and it's it's easy to to want to chase that with these 17 year olds even though they're riskier and you're going to miss more often than not but I think those two Christian Hernandez Wilman Diaz have the best chance of of becoming that if you want to take a bigger swing some others that just missed outside your top 10 uh, relief pitcher slash maybe starting pitcher Garrett Crochet 
the 11th overall pick, made his debut for the White Sox last season, pitched six shutout innings with a 16% swinging strike rate, a 100-mile-per-hour fastball. The guy just throws absolute heat, but of course uh, wound up straining his forearm in the postseason. So we have that to worry about for Garrett Crochet. Uh, Austin Wells is the name I've seen ranked you know, inside the top 15, top 20 for a lot of people. He was drafted 28th overall by the Yankees. Pretty good hit tool. Uh, obviously a lefty in Yankee Stadium if he ever makes it up with the Yankees. Uh, that's pretty uh, enticing. I actually, I actually want to highlight Austin Wells, who I have 17th here, and Tyler Soderstrom of the Athletics, who I have 15th. Both kind of latest first-rounders for those teams, and both catchers. But both <laughs> players were kind of rooting not to stay at catcher because their bat is too good to kind of kind of deal with the uncertainties that go along with that position and you'd hate to see them stalled or see their development stunted as hitters because they both look like middle of the order OPS monsters average in power I'm, I'm really excited about Tyler Soderstrom and Austin Wells both I'm looking for, at them in my dynasty leagues but um, and, and kind of the feeling behind that is because they're catchers right now and because there's a tendency in dynasty leagues to avoid catchers, these guys are going to fall. Yep. But I think in the long run, you know, neither neither team is saying they're not going to be catchers, but neither one is that good at catching. So in the long run, as good as they are as hitters, hopefully they they move to another spot and and then that would actually, it would it would seem like a steal in retrospect where you got them. Scott, I do just have to correct you on one thing. You said you're looking at them in your dynasty leagues. Our dynasty league, Scott. <laughs> because I am in the Scott White Dynasty League, and I That's just found true. out right before we started recording this that I have the 11th pick in the rookie draft. So, boom, just wrote down the names Austin Wells and Soderstrom as people I might want to take with my pick. There you go. We're going to wrap there. For Scott, I have Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today. We'll be back again tomorrow with Ariel Cohen talking ATC projections and salary cap draft strategy. See you then. Bye-bye. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.